are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. It's great to see all of you this morning. I'm, I'm so glad that each of you are here. I wanted to take just a minute to specifically welcome uh, Joel Busby this morning. Many of you know Joel. Joel is a pastor over at Grace Fellowship in Homewood. Uh, he's been a friend of Emmanuel for, for many years and another Harbor uh, Network church doing uh, great gospel work in the city. And so Joel has graciously agreed to, uh, to lead us uh, this morning. So really grateful for you, brother. Why don't you give Joel a round of applause as he comes on up. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. Uh, my name is Joel, as Buster just said, and it gives me a lot of joy to be with you. Um, a few preliminary comments I want to make to you before I encourage you to turn your attention to Genesis chapter 2. So if you guys want to actually begin turning there, Genesis chapter 2, and as you're turning there, I'll make a couple comments. First of all, I'm so grateful for Emmanuel. Um, you guys, church was planted several years before ours. Ours is five years old. And you guys have been a guide, a mentor church for grace. Your pastors and your leaders have been so kind and so gracious to love and support and care for us. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, so I, lo- I love you. I love this church, even though there's so many of you I don't actually personally know. Um, second preliminary comment, I want to uh, apologize because my, my throat's a little scratchy because um, I am the defensive coordinator for both a fourth grade flag football team and a first grade flag football team. Um, and there were several times yesterday in four games we played where I started yelling and I thought to myself, oh no, Emmanuel, tomorrow, I need to preserve this. And, and since you brought up kid flag football, um, my two sons made critical plays at critical moments yesterday. One, one team won the championship yesterday. So I imagine you being more excited about that than you were right then. Uh, thirdly, um, at Grace, we are walking away through the first few chapters of Genesis. So these are texts that have become deeply exciting to me. So I want to invite you into that. So today's sermon text is Genesis chapter 2. Um, I'm going to read for you verses 4 through 17. It's a long reading. I want to encourage you to hang on tight. And then I want to offer you some thoughts on it this morning. So Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And here's how it goes. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land. It was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed from the whole land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. 
Bedlam and Oxstone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, in this moment with these dear friends, Lord, it is our sincere and bold prayer. Lord, that you would do in this moment the thing that only you can do. And that is by the power of your spirit that you would shine light on these words in your word, that you would shine light on places in our hearts where light needs to be shown. Lord, and you would use these words, yes, to challenge us, Lord, but to give us such a deep and abiding hope today in our Lord Jesus. Lord, it's in his name, the highest name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin uh, this morning's sermon with three serious confessions. First of all, I want to confess to you that the preacher you have this morning, me, I don't like to need God. Now, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I don't need God because I very much do. And I'm not saying that I don't come into worship services and sing songs like, Lord, I need you, ho, I need you, every hour I need you. I'm just telling you, I don't necessarily always like living in that needy place. I wonder if you know what I mean. Second thing I want to confess to you is that I, Joel Busby, I'm always tempted to believe. I'm always tempted to believe that being somewhere else would be better. So for example, there's this saying that the grass is always greener on the other side, and I'm confessing to you that the grass is not just greener on the other side. It is like the brightest, most brilliant emerald green from the hills of Ireland you have ever seen. I'm always tempted to believe I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Third thing I want to confess to you is that I struggle to believe that obedience to God will be the thing to give me life and joy and peace. I'm always tempted to think it'll be found somewhere else. And I say these things to you as a way to transition to our text for this morning. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17, we get a picture of what human beings as image bearers, what a person made in God's image is supposed to be like, what it's supposed to feel like, how we are supposed to be. This sermon is about the way you and I were supposed to be. And the fact that I begin this sermon with confession and the fact that I'm using words like supposed to is a signal that this sermon is going to challenge you and I 
Because the implication there is that you and I often are not the way we're supposed to be. So I want to challenge you and challenge myself this morning. I'm going to say some things to you that I'm going to try to say tenderly, but they might be hard to hear. But if you will hang on with me, I want to take the meandering road of this passage to make one really important point to you this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. This is your moment to hear it. It's really simple. In Jesus' life, we will find ours. In Jesus' life, we will find ours. And the way I want to make that point to you is to really follow three themes or elements of this text. First of all, I want to talk about dust and breath. Secondly, I want to talk about place. And then thirdly, I want to talk about this tree we read about. So dust and breath, place and tree. I like outlines from preachers in advance because I'm always sitting there wondering, where is he going with this? Well, that's where I'm going with this. Dust and breath, place and tree. So let's begin by talking about dust and breath. Look with me at verse 7 of our passage. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So far in the creation story, God is speaking and things are happening. God is speaking, saying things like, let there be light and light comes. Let there be fishes that teem in the waters and and they appear. But when God decides to make man, he gets more personally involved. It says that he formed the man. This is the language of a master craftsman, perhaps like a potter, who takes raw material and gets his hands involved in crafts with tender care, a person. And then he crafts this person with tender care. He grabs some dust. He begins to shape and form it. And this text says that he then breathes into this dusty thing. And when he breathes his breath into that dusty thing, it's no longer a thing. It's a person who's alive. The idea that God would breathe his breath is a picture of of intimate care. He's he's giving his life. He's sharing his very life with this thing that he's just made to no longer make it a thing, but to make it a human person. Human people are not things. They're creatures who are alive because they have been breathed into with the very breath of God. Now, why dust? Why dust? God can form a person from anything that he wants, right? He's God for God's sake. He can use any material. He's got the trees. He's got stars. He's got waters. Why dust? Well, it's really important why it's dust, and it is a massive clue about what it means to be human. See, dust takes on a kind of life of its own throughout the pages of the scriptures. From this point forward, dust will be a a theme of the Bible. In the last couple of weeks, I took time to read everything the Bible says when it talks about dust. I'm tempted right now to read all that for you, but let me give you a flavor of it. In the pages of the scriptures, dust has significance. 
Throughout the pages of scriptures, dust is a symbol of our fragility. Throughout the pages of the scriptures, dust is a symbol of our mortality. We are alive because God breathed into our dust. And when God no longer fills our lungs with his breath, then we will not be alive anymore. Dust in the scriptures is a picture of humility, being low. Dust in the scriptures is a picture of dependency. Dust in the scriptures is a simple picture that we are just not quite as self-sufficient and strong as we like to think that we are. It's a symbol of God's compassion. He looks at us with compassion, Psalm 103 tells us, and says he remembers that we're just dust. So what is this clue about being human that we get from this dust and breath? Let me put it to you like this. You and I were made in such a way that we are supposed to live moment by moment, breath by breath, frail and fragile, dependent upon God. Every moment, every breath, moment by moment by moment, hour by hour by hour, we're supposed to live clinging with everything that we are on God. That's how we're supposed to live. That's not something about us that we're supposed to avoid doing. It's something we're supposed to embrace. Now, let me just speak to your heart for a quick second. First of all, let me just tell you, if you and I are supposed to live in this moment-by-moment ultra-dependency on God, let me just tell you, you and I live in perhaps the hardest culture ever to cultivate that. We live in a culture that celebrates and prizes and values above all things rugged independence. And the pages of the Bible will look at us and laugh. You're not ruggedly independent, and you're not ruggedly independent at all. Secondly, if you are here this morning and you feel like your life in some ways You're hanging by a thread. Moment by moment, hour by hour, I want to tell you that does not mean you've done anything wrong. It's the way it's supposed to feel. Thirdly, let me tell you, I don't know if you've noticed this, but God has his ways of working in our lives in such a way that he try, he's trying actively to make us more dependent on him all the time. And when he's doing that, he's doing that because he loves us. It's the way we're supposed to be. Finally, I'm 39 years old, and I did not believe what I'm about to tell you 10 years ago. I'm barely beginning to believe it now. But there is such a way where that posture of living moment by moment, second by second, dependency on God, that can become a way of living that you might actually learn to enjoy. It might be something you learn to love. That's dust and breath. 
Now let's talk about place. Look with me in verse 8 and verse 15. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15, The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So here's the picture. God forms this dusty thing. He breathes into it and it's no longer a thing, but it's a person. And he puts this frail, dusty person in a garden to work and tend and cultivate it. A real, live, actual place. When I was reading, if you read all the things about the rivers, you're like, what was that about? Well, among other things, it's about trying to signal actual geographic areas, actual places. So like the reader of the text, the reader of this text, the hearer of this text in the ancient world would have heard, okay, garden, okay, yeah, east, okay, yeah, near that river, yeah, that river's kind of east of Assyria. I, like, I know where he's talking about. An actual, literal, physical place in order to tend and work and cultivate, to, to generate fruitfulness in that particular physical place. Why? I mean, this is God we're talking about. He can put the man anywhere. He's got the whole universe, but he wants to put him in a fairly limited geographic place. Why? Well, again, this is another massive clue about what it means to be human. Let me put it to you this way. You and I are intended to dwell in actual places and be rooted there and to stay the course there to work there, and to cultivate there. To put it another way, listen to this. Human beings are supposed to be where we are. Now here's what's challenging about that, if I can just speak honestly. You guys should have seen me this week trying to be anywhere but where I was. So I was supposed to have a meeting in my office at 10.30. Well, I realized, oh, I was supposed to be on a conference call at 10.30 also. So I'm thinking, how can I zoom into this meeting, you know, block the screen or whatever, just not turn my video on? Like, it's funny that a couple years ago, we would have never known what I was talking about right now. But, but how can I, how can I not, not, them not see that I'm actually in another meeting and have it muted so I can be in two meetings? At the, oh, no. Oh, no. I just remembered I was supposed to go by and pick up my kids in order to take them to the doctor. Okay, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll call on the phone while I'm driving to take my kids to the doctor. And then later that afternoon, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to do something uh, with some neighbors. And oh, oh great. Like, we have flag football practice. Who's supposed to be at what practice and what time? What boy? Like, I try to be anywhere but where I actually am. I run around frantically trying to be in more than one place at the same time. A human being is not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be present where we are. And, and let's take it beyond just the weekly. Let's take it more to the, the fullness of our lives. We're supposed to work and tend and cultivate fruit in a particular place over the long haul. I probably should tell you, so if I can speak to your heart, that you and I live in perhaps the hardest culture ever to generate this kind of rootedness. 
Y'all, I was, in a con- I was in a conversation with a good friend of mine when our church was being planted five years ago. I was in a conversation with a good friend of mine who's a pastor in another city in another place, in a big, important city in our country. Okay, he was telling me their church was nine years old. He was telling me at year three, not one person who was there at the beginning was there at year three. He told me at year six, not one person that was there at year three was there at year six. He told me at year nine, not one person that was there at year six was there at year nine. Their church had turned over entirely three times in nine years. And I'm sitting there kind of flabbergasted by that. And this mentor, who's a part of this conversation, says to me, Joel, you need to know that is not, that is not just a New York City phenomenon. That is now an everywhere phenomenon. The deep transience. The believing we're supposed to be anywhere but where we are. And I think what this text tells us is that if we're never willing to dig roots and stay, then we won't taste so much of the things that God intends for us. I want to illustrate it like this, just to explain it again. Y'all, I'll never forget a conversation I was having when I was in the beginning of our church being planted, and I talked to this man um, who told me that he had been a part of this small group, okay? He was a part of a small group, a community group, you guys might call it, a home group is what we call it, Grace. He'd been a part of this community group, small group thing for 40 years, which means he was doing it before it was a thing. Small groups weren't always a thing, by the way. And he had been a part of this small group. He and a group of people had gotten together weekly to pray, to support each other, to care for one another, to discuss the Bible almost every week for 40 years. And, and I promise you, this is what he said to me. He said to me, yeah, and I'm not sure we even began to taste the fruit of that for some reason until year 23. And he wasn't joking. Now, at the same time, when I had that conversation, I had a conversation with somebody from my own church who said to me, I just feel like I'm not really getting anything out of my small group. And, and, I, said, and I said to this person, oh, really, why? And they said to me, I don't know. I've been there three times. And they weren't joking either. Now, now I'm not saying that we can't move. I mean, God calls us sometimes, sure. But what I am saying is there is a certain something that you are looking for deep inside your soul to be rooted and to be fruitful. And you'll never taste it if you're always gone all the time. Part of being a human requires us to take a kind of vow of stability, stay. It's what we're made for. So we're made to live in a moment-by-moment dependency on God. That's dust and breath. We're supposed to be rooted in a place that's place. And then this third idea, what in the world is going on with this tree? Look with me in verse 9 and verses 16 and 17. 
Verse 9, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I just read for you for the second time some of the most mysterious words in all the Bible. What are these trees? What's going on here? Let me try to explain it like this. God, in this text, gives his first command. And isn't it interesting? It's a command about eating. Okay, the, the Bible is a story about eating, Perhaps that's another talk for another day. Like, where are we going to eat and where are we going to gain our nutrition, our sustenance? Which just makes it additionally beautiful that we will conclude today's worship service by eating something. But that's another talk for another day. God's first command is to give people an instruction, instructions about where they would eat. In other words, where they would be fulfilled and satisfied. And again, it's our third massive clue about what it means to be human. Human beings were meant to be blissfully ignorant of evil and sin. Instead, they were supposed to embrace this command from God, which was a command, by the way, for their joy, which was a command for their flourishing, which was a command for their very life. It was a command for pleasure. It was a command for delight. It was a command to have everything that they ever wanted. It was a command to have things that they wanted that they could not have even known that they wanted. And it was all there for the taking. Everything that they could ever want would have been found in obedience to God. You can eat from anything. And in giving this person a choice, Adam, a choice, the choice was simple, and it went like this. You can either receive all joy and all life and all happiness and all fulfillment from me, or you can be self-made, evaluate choices constantly, and suffer under the weight of something you were never supposed to. You can be dependent upon me as you are a frail, Frail, dusty human. You can be dependent on me on everything you need in this place where I'm going to provide everything for you, or you can, in essence, do your own thing. And you chose wrongly. And of course, so do we. So it's almost as if you and I need Someone, capital S, someone, to come and to show us exactly who we're supposed to be. Because if we are not what we're supposed to be, if we try to assert our dependence, if we're always looking somewhere else, and if we're always choosing wrongly, we need someone to help us rectify this situation. And this is the moment in which the explanation of this text I just gave you is going to become a sermon that announces to you the fullness of joy that can be found in Jesus. 
It's interesting that the Apostle Paul will tell us that Jesus is like a new Adam. In other words, he's going to show us what a human being is supposed to be. And, and let me just work it backwards. This whole idea of dust and frailty, fragility, independence. Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus Christ, this is Jesus Christ we're talking about, succumbed to our frail and fragile human situation. The scriptures teaches, teach us that he became obedient, that he emptied himself and became obedient to God. Throughout the pages of the gospel stories, we see Jesus actually depending upon the spirit step by step by step, hour by hour by hour. Jesus. And it's in his life that you will find yours. What about this idea of place? Isn't it interesting that the gospel stories make an enormous deal of place? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He grows up in a podunk town called Nazareth. He walks around literal towns and villages. And the most meaningful human life that has ever existed was a life that never really traveled, never really saw the world. Jesus spent the majority of his days, the most meaningful human life that there's ever been, Jesus spent the majority of his days about the distance from here to Montgomery. He never went further than that. But he was rooted entirely, cultivating the fruit that was his to cultivate, the mission that he was given by his father. He cultivated that fruit rooted in a place. It's in Jesus' life, Emmanuel Church, that you will find yours. Finally, what about this tree? Y'all, the scriptures teach us that Jesus became obedient. He's come to our situation. He follows step by step, hour by hour, the Spirit. He's placed and rooted in his Father's will, cultivating the fruit. The scriptures teach us that he suffered to the point of death on a tree. He became obedient to the point of death in order to rectify and redeem our situation. The book of Hebrews says that when he became obedient to the point of death, that in that moment, he was able to give eternal life to all who would know him and obey him. In Jesus' life, Emmanuel, in his death, in Jesus' life, you find yours. All I know to tell you this morning is that every single thing that Jesus has, you have. All I know to tell you this morning is that every single thing that Jesus has, you have. All I know to tell you this morning is that every single thing that Jesus has is yours. You have it. In his life, you find yours. And he has given his life in order that you could be alive, frail and fragile as you are. So the clear, the clear call of this text in these truths is that you would just cling to him and turn to him afresh this morning. Cling to him. Turn to him, because in his life, you will find yours, and you will find the you that you were supposed to be. Let's pray. 
Lord, these truths, of course, are easier to talk about from a pulpit than to live tomorrow when we get frustrated because of our need. Lord, when we're tempted to run from the things you've called us to. Lord, when we're tempted to think that obedience will be found somewhere else. So it is our prayer that these words would do the thing that you've promised that they would do, that they would have effect for the purposes that you have sent them in our hearts and in our souls and in our lives. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, fresh breath would be breathed upon weary souls, even in this moment. Lord, encourage us deeply that in your life, we find ours. Would you help us in these things, we pray. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.